0: our series of messages on the book of uh, Mark, which is in the New Testament. Um, Mark, we're still in chapter 1, but we are so close to the end of chapter 1. And we're going to read at verse 35. And I have it on page 1046. 1046. Actually, I'm going to start at verse uh, 32. This is something we read last week, but it's helpful to remember. Jesus just uh, sent out a demon. He's healed some people. And verse 32, That evening after sunset the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he also drove out many demons, uh, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Uh, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. I try to imagine, uh, as I was looking at that passage, how long, I, I wondered how long, Jesus would have been in that solitary place. Um, And uh, he gets up before dark. Disciples maybe wake up, realize he's missing maybe an hour later. They have no idea where he goes. There's no obvious solitary place near Capernaum. Um, I'm thinking maybe two or three hours at best before they find him. So they finally find him and they say, everyone is looking for you. Right? They were all at his door last night. In verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a pastor... I, I get to be there in some of the most exciting moments of your lives. So, uh, before Adam and Grace's wedding, like, like 15 minutes before the ceremony, I got to uh, like I asked where are the bride and groom? And, uh, and so we said, they're in the basement. So I went to the basement of the church where we were at, and it's like 15 minutes before they're getting married. And um, they're there with their wedding party, and I took them aside and I prayed with them. Pretty cool. And uh, a few weeks ago, when uh, little baby Judah was born, uh, I called up Jason to see how uh, like mom and the baby were doing. And I said, uh, I'm coming over. And I didn't even really exactly ask. I more just sort of said, like, hey, I'm coming over. It's one of the the really amazing perks of the job. (laughs) that I get to be there in some of these most beautiful moments in your lives. Of course, it's also true that I'm there in a lot of the ugliest moments of your lives. Uh, It's like when you lose your job. When you lose your faith. uh, When you lose... uh, the person who meant the most to you in the world. A lot of times, I'm one of the first phone calls you make. Sometimes people observe these extremes in my life. And they say, boy, you know, you must really love doing those weddings, but those funerals must really, it must really be hard. And in a sense, that's true. That's true. Uh, The food is much better at weddings You know, I like ham buns. I I like ham buns (laughs) maybe even more than the average person. Um, But the the food is better at weddings. And of course, a wedding is a much happier occasion than than a funeral. But I actually think that as a pastor, a funeral is a better place for me to be. no offense to those of you here whom I have married or who I will marry, um, but uh, at a wedding, nobody is really waiting to hear what I have to say. Um, no one comes to a wedding and they say, boy, I just can't wait to hear this sermon. Like, I wonder what he's going to say. Like, no, they, they say things like, uh, preacher, it's... It's not going to be like a long one, is it? (laughs) And I get it. I I don't take that personally. Um, But I have to tell you, it is so different from a funeral. When I'm preaching at a funeral, if I pause, you can hear a pin drop. I mean, it is so quiet. And it seems like all eyes are like fixed on the front and people are are watching and they're waiting. Why are they so intent? Why is a funeral so different from a wedding? Well, I think it's because people come to a funeral desperate. Desperate for something. Some sense... Some sign of God, perhaps. Uh, A word, a comfort, something. People don't come to weddings in search of God. In search of a good party, certainly. But not really God. In the days before a wedding, it's just more parties, right? (laughs) But in the days before a funeral, your life has been turned upside down. And some person that you loved, that you couldn't imagine your life without, you are now imagining your life without. And you show up at the church, or at the wake, or wherever, desperate to know, is there a God? And is he messing with me? Does he care? There's a kind of desperation that people feel at a funeral that they just don't feel at a wedding. See, I think that when you're at a funeral, you are in what we might call a desert. A desert is a place where your usual resources are worthless. It's the kind of place where you cannot rely on your money, your career position, your degrees, your connections, those things are worth nothing in the desert. In desert places, you are forced to face how fragile life is, how even the healthiest, strongest person is only a few days away from being dead in the desert. In desert places we realize that all the things that we chase so seriously in our lives and all the things that mean so much to us right now that they can be gone in an instant. And yet it is for all those same reasons That the deserts of our lives are the very places where God often gets our attention. It's when we finally reach our limits. When we're finally forced to put down whatever we've been using to distract ourselves when we are forced to face life and death head-on, it's terrifying. But it is also often where we seem to meet God. Not at weddings, but at funerals. Not in the good times, but in deserts. As your pastor, I can tell you that for many of you, the most significant spiritual growth that I have seen in your lives has come during hard times. Not when you got a raise, or when you got a promotion, or when your kids were doing really great in school. That stuff is fine, that stuff is great, but I've noticed it's often in the desert where you rediscover God is there. And maybe even possibly, he never even really left. The desert is a very significant place in the Bible. It's packed with meaning. Uh, When Israel meets God... Uh, and receives his law. It's a momentous occasion, maybe the most important thing that happens in the whole Old Testament. It doesn't happen in in the bustling capital of culture and commerce. In Egypt, it happens in the desert. When Jacob wrestles with God. When uh, Moses is called by God. When Elijah is fed by God. These things happen not in cities or in towns. They happen in deserts. Not when things are going very well, but when these men are alone and when they have reached a kind of rock bottom. Jesus himself spends a lot of time in desert places. He was baptized there. And afterwards, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, we read this a few weeks ago, it says that Jesus was sent into the desert to be tempted. But the, the word there for send, it's much too, too dainty. Uh, it's not like, oh, could I send you to the store for, for a gallon of milk? Uh, you got to think like Justin Verlander. It's like, it's hurl, it's throw, it's, uh, it's cast out. Uh, the Spirit of God threw Jesus into the desert. Jesus went to the desert whether he wanted to or not. And that's the way most of us get to our deserts. We don't choose the desert. We're forced there. Forced to face God, forced to, to rely on Him. We enter deserts not because we want to, but because we have to. Because everything else that we counted on has failed and we are stuck. Now it is true. I mean, some of us testify that you know, even though we didn't want to go, Even though we never asked for this pain in our lives, we'd still say, you know what? God met me there. God changed me there. Some of us know deep down that the desert can turn out to be exactly what we needed. And yet it is still surprising to read here in verse 35. That very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place. Hey, guess what the word is for solitary place? It's the desert. Jesus chooses a desert. Isn't that weird? I mean, we avoid our deserts like the plague. Uh, We avoid thinking about anything that reminds us of our limits. Anything that reminds us about how short life is or how dependent we are on God. I was thinking about some examples of this. I was thinking about, you know, the, the dark side of a nursing home is that it lets those of us who don't live there Pretend that life doesn't end in death, that it just ends in a move. We wear makeup and, and uh, cover up wrinkles and gray hair, uh, in part to fool ourselves and people around us into thinking that death is farther away than it really is. We keep savings accounts. I talk about this all the time. We keep savings accounts much larger than they need to be to live or to retire. And we say, oh, you know, it's just prudent long-term planning. But isn't it also an attempt to make sure that we never have to rely on God? God gave me the means to provide for myself. Thank you very much. Somebody else can be a charity case, but it's never going to be me. Right? We avoid the desert in all of its forms. Right? Because let's be honest, the desert can be an awful place. And yet the paradox of the Christian faith is that it is in the desert places that we often have our greatest sense of clarity. It is often where we finally see God again. Where we finally realize we can trust Him again. The desert can be a good place, but the trick is we usually don't remember the clarity. We remember the pain. How could we not? We remember the pain, and so we avoid the desert. That's what makes what Jesus does so extraordinary. It's precisely to the desert that Jesus goes. Deliberately goes. You know, Mark piles up these verbs in that verse uh, 35, I think. Uh, Jesus gets up. He leaves the house. He goes. He prays. Jesus is a man on a mission. You are not going to deny this guy his desert. Why would anybody want to go to the desert so badly? You know, we go to the desert when we are forced Kicking and screaming, we go to the desert. After disappointment, after failure, after loss, that's when we end up in the desert. But Jesus, Jesus isn't coming off some disappointment. I mean, he's in the crescendo of his ministry. Uh, He's been out there for one day, and already the entire town is waiting at his door. He's got the big mo. He's got momentum. Uh, He's at peak productivity. How's he going to play this to his advantage, huh? How's he going to make sure that the good times roll? Well, he's going to go to the the saddest, loneliest, quietest place he can find. He's going to go to the desert. Do you see how crazy that is? I mean, the best thing about good times is that we can finally forget about the desert. Uh, We can pretend like we really are in charge. That's the best thing about good times. But Jesus stops. I mean, he was cruising. I mean, he was surrounded by all these reminders of His vitality and his power and he's healing people and he's teaching people and there's crowds everywhere. And his response is to go to the one place that will most remind him, not of life, but of death. Not of his strength, but of his dependence. You can't be productive in the desert. You can't heal someone in the desert. You can't teach someone in the desert. You're alone in the desert. And yet, this is where Jesus needed to be. You know, the the Gospel writer Luke, he says that Jesus often went to the desert to pray. actually, especially after high points in his ministry, whenever things were going real good, Jesus would go to that sad, lonely, quiet place. And he'd pray. There's nothing like the desert to focus your prayers. Now, he didn't stay there. Right, by the afternoon, he's healing and teaching and doing his Jesus thing again. Um, we're not meant to stay in the desert. But maybe we are meant to be very regular visitors. You know, if, if the Son of God, God in the flesh, if, if the Son of God thought he needed two or three hours of prayer, and quiet time in the desert? How much do you think I need? If if the Son of God needed to recenter on the Father after one day of ministry, how far do you think we can go before we need to recenter? But we don't, do we? I mean, the the truth is, we have sanctified the busy life. It's now very pious and holy to be so busy. And I think we stay busy so that we never have to find ourselves anywhere near the desert. Never quiet. Never alone. Never dependent on God. Dear brothers and sisters, I don't want us to be so afraid of the desert anymore. I know it's scary. It's terrifying when God takes us there. Some of us have spent years facing our deserts. Why would any of us go there voluntarily? I guess I want to say, uh, trust the paradox. You know, there's, there's often a lot of truth in the paradoxes of our faith. For instance, that there is life and renewal in the moment of our surrender. In the moment when we give up. The need to control everything. If you want to make that concrete, uh, you can try fasting. It's a great way to surrender, it's a great way to go to the desert. Uh, give up a meal or two. Uh, remember what it feels like to be hungry again. I mean, bread does not grow on the, the shelves of Meyer stores. Uh, I mean, having a loaf of bread on your table today is nothing short of a miracle. Give up some food and remember how close you are to death. Or take five minutes today. (laughs) Never mind three hours. Take five minutes today to sit in, in listening prayer, just asking for God to speak. Totally unproductive. Just sit there and listen. You see, when we stop trying so busily to build our kingdom of control and instead bow our knee to the true king, there's life there. And all of the book of Mark, we're going to see this, all of the book of Mark is filled with this kind of paradox. If you want to lead, you have to follow. Uh, if you want to be impressive, you must be like a child. If you want to live, you have to die. Jesus is the true king. But he's also the one who dies on a cross to save us and to show us what love looks like. So I say trust the paradox. Don't be afraid to go to the desert. The desert is where our God Does some of his best work. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, we uh, confess the sin of busyness to you. Uh, We confess that we are terrified sometimes by moments of silence or quiet. And we fill up our days with, uh, well, just about everything but you. And so we ask that from time to time you would take us or we would go to desert places where we can remember again how utterly dependent we are on you. And Lord, may that thought not be terrifying to us. But Lord, convince us again how trustworthy you are. How much better you are at steering our lives than we are. Give us your peace in the desert, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.